Welcome to the fourth episode of Petite Sounds. Un, do, tres, cuatro. Sí, 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 cuatro. May I continue? Sorry, you may proceed. Welcome to the fourth episode of Petite Sounds, a podcast about language, parenting, and children. I'm Elaine. And I'm Hector. During our last episode, we went through some of the challenges children face when trying to make their way through language, from speech sounds, the phonology, to morphemes, words, and their own vocabulary, the morphology. And today, we'll take a closer look at some of the most controversial topics in the field of linguistics. Syntax, and the different stages children go from uttering their first words to forming full, meaningful sentences. We'll also talk about the different types of words they learn and the categories in which they are grouped. We'll also discuss the characteristics that make human language unique in the animal kingdom and some of the linguistic achievements of non-humans. And we'll try to define the differences between variation, a language, and the faculty of human language. All that in one episode. Let's see how far we can get. Vamos! So your baby went from cooing to babbling to saying their first words. That is quite an achievement, but... Think of all the problems you would have if you were only able to express yourself using single words. And if you have a baby or interact with one, you will notice how frustrating sometimes it is for them not to be able to get what they want. They might be yelling the name of an object they want, like teddy. So you go and get the teddy bear for your baby, but that might not be what soothes them. Yet he or she might scream again. Daddy! Quite ambiguous. That could mean, I hate the teddy, I want yet another teddy. Why are teddies kept captive in human houses? That's too much of a stretch for a baby, but yes, it could be that too, why not? So right after your baby started saying their first words, it might not take long when they start combining them. And here's where syntax comes in. Syntax dictates how words can combine with one another. Not all words are created equal. Each of the words we use are categorized differently depending on the meaning and function they have. So words that name a person, place, thing, or an idea are nouns. Edit Piaf, Paris, Croissants, Liberty, all nouns. <laughs> Someone wants to visit France. Want and visit are verbs, which refer to an action or state. So in English, these two categories can already express full sentences. Adele sings. Gordon cooks. LeBron jumps. These are some random examples. They get the point across. The truth is that the stages of development are not linear at all. They're pretty messy, as Wiemann, De Paulus, and Portnoy state in their chapter A Dynamic Systems Approach to Babbling and Words, included in the Cambridge Handbook of Child Language. As they say, what might look very linear and seamless is actually more, quote, exploratory. 
So children actually just explore the sounds they can make with their mouths, start combining them, and see what works and what doesn't. Quote continues, opportunistic and syncretic. This means that they will use different strategies according to the context, where they can even combine elements from different words. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible, you mean? Yeah, 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 whatever. You understood. So, kind of like this. So, children from a very young age will start developing tactics like these to make themselves understood and to decode what is trying to be said to them depending on the situation. And they will usually start with one-word expressions, and then to two and three words. And these words could be adjectives. Which are used to describe nouns. So, people, places, things, and ideas. So, a fast car, a tiny dancer, a big house, or a new sensation. Aren't those all song titles? You really got me. You really got me. This is something I have to live with. Anyway, other words are adverbs, which can modify verbs. Killing me softly. An adjective. Too sexy for my shirt. Or another adverb. I ran out of songs. I can help with an example. I drive extremely well. How does Elaine drive? Extremely well. So here, extremely is expressing the degree of correctness I drive with. That's actually true. And we also have prepositions. Like with, at, on, in, etc. And in some other languages, we could even have postpositions. Like Korean, Japanese, or Turkish. So depending on the function that these words take, a baby's brain starts categorizing them to then start using them in sentences of their own. Which leads to a very important fact that we cannot just arrange words in a random order. I mean, there are some languages that are more flexible than others in this matter, but you're right. English, for example, is a little bit strict in this sense. You usually need to mention who's doing the action first. The subject. What he, she, or it is doing. The verb. And who's the receiver. The object. So, if I have a sentence, say... The cat is chasing the dog. By changing the order of the nouns, the dog is chasing the cat, it conveys a completely different meaning. In German, we would say, Die Katze verfolgt den Hund. We use cases, and we have four, but we're not going to turn this into a German grammar lesson. But we would need to change the form of the certain words in order to define who's doing what, To whom? I think this is a little bit difficult for a monolingual English speaker to wrap their minds around. It's as if you said, the dog is chasing the cat. But we don't really think about it. We just say it and it makes sense. What's it like in Spanish? You could say, el gato está persiguiendo al perro. Or, está persiguiendo el gato al perro. Or... Al perro lo está persiguiendo el gato. It's up to you. You use a preposition to indicate who's being chased. In this case, being the dog. Spanish sometimes uses preposition in cases where you wouldn't do so in German or English. 
Something I find particularly interesting is how children as young as two years old can already understand some of the implications of ordering the words differently. This has been reported by prominent researchers such as Tomasello, Hirschpasek, Golinkov, and others. And it is also around the 24th month of life where they begin sorting objects into two different categories and where the first multi-word expressions with some basic grammar components will start to appear. Mama Teddy, Mama Look, or More Milk are some examples that kids this age would say. At this age, they also perceive the world differently than an adult. They tend to believe, for example, that everyone shares the same point of view. But as they reach age four, they will have fewer and fewer differences when it comes to the development of their word formation and grammar skills. If you are close to a four-year-old, you may have already noticed some of the words and phrases they use. And if you have had the opportunity to interact with him or her across time, you may have already witnessed with amazement how sophisticated their communication system has become. But the study of child language is relatively new, and it didn't become systematic until the late 50s of the past century. And as any other field in science, it is quite controversial. Do you learn language? Do you acquire it? Is it innate? Does it develop? I haven't made up my mind yet. Neither have I. Elaine and I have had deep discussions about how language got to evolve. She, being a biology teacher, has a quite detailed insight on the factors that drive evolution and change. And when you see language from a bilingual or multilingual perspective... The answer is even less straightforward. For sure. See what happens with your native language. You are able to understand almost anything that you hear, even if it's the first time that you have heard that specific word combination. But there are also some cases in which it is difficult to say when one language finishes and the other starts. You could also hear someone using a variation of the same language. Let's say someone from Berlin and someone from the south of Germany or somewhere in Switzerland. You might overhear a conversation and have no idea what people are talking about because of the pronunciation or regional expressions. It could also happen that you can understand and perhaps even make yourself understood at a basic level if you listened or talked to a native speaker of a language from the same family as yours. For example, you might understand certain words and phrases in Italian or Portuguese if you are a Spanish speaker. Or if you speak Dutch and were to talk to a German. Of course, there are a lot of other factors that can make the conversation fail or succeed. But these examples are just to illustrate how complex human language is. And that's also why it is so fascinating. You can also be very proficient at a second or third language. But there will always be certain words, phrases, structures that you might not be able to use yourself. 
even if you understand them, or you could also have problems producing certain sounds. What's also fascinating is that we can find some language features in animals. In terms of receptive skills, cats, the internet's favorites, for example, can recognize the unique voice qualities of their owners. There's a documented case of Chaser, a dog, who learned to identify over 1,000 objects by name. Talking parrots may not gain the interest of everybody since that is not that uncommon. But how about elephants being experts at distinguishing the dialect, gender, and age group of human speakers? Say what? As you hear it. According to a study published in 2014 by McComb, Shannon, Sailel, and Moss, African elephants are particularly sensitive to the voice of young Maasai men who have historically been an existential threat to these animals. Is that where the saying, an elephant never forgets, comes from? Hmm, who knows? Could be. And I thought Alex, the parrot producing word combinations, was cool, but this is quite impressive. And these are just a few examples of how animals possess certain features common to our language systems. Of course, they also have their own communication systems that allow them to transmit information to members of their own communities. Yeah, we can also take a look at some of the achievements of primates, too. Monkeys can tell speech from non-speech sounds like us. Or chimps that can acquire some signs and combine them, like the chimp Nimchimsky, named after Professor Noam Chomsky. Even though animals are indeed capable of learning some rules and even more impressively, they can learn some of the rules present in language, they are very limited when it comes to the complexity of the rules they can master. Charles Hockett listed 16 features that, all combined, set human language apart from animal communication systems. We're just going to mention a few. The first one is that the main channel to communicate is through the sound of our voices, like I'm doing it right now. Actually, Language, in the written form, appears very late in our evolutionary history. So, in some form, podcasts are just following the ancestral tradition of oral communication. That is perceived through our ears. And this oral tradition is rich with cultural content about the group of people that uses it. And it's passed on to us by our parents and our community. Sound is transmitted in every direction. When you're listening to it, you identify it as coming from one particular source, whether it is the person in front of you or someone speaking through your headphones. It also fades very rapidly. Las palabras se las lleva el viento. Words fade away with the wind. Yes. And we also exchange roles in communication. And this is something that babies start grasping at a very early age. Even when it's just babbling, they start taking turns, calling and waiting for a response, or identifying a voice as some sort of call and responding in consequence. Another thing is that when we are speaking, we listen to ourselves. And the organs that we use for speech have also adapted to speech production 
and they are not only used for eating, breathing, or drinking. Hockett also made reference to semanticity. That speech has meanings and refers to actions, objects, and ideas. But as we had explained in our last episode, the relationship between the sounds that represent these objects or actions is entirely arbitrary. This becomes so obvious when you are a parent or a caregiver who interacts constantly with children. They are not always very precise with their words. They are just exploring and. Throughout this exploration, they make mistakes, but then these mistakes can actually become pretty understandable to you. You create a new relationship between the attempts of your child and the object. Your baby can name a banana simply "nana," and after a few times, you will know what he or she wants to have for breakfast. For example, babies actually make use of this arbitrariness. And they may start creating their own communication systems, like some identical twins actually develop. In the end, language has its duality of patterning, where we can use meaningless units such as phonemes into meaningful ones such as words. One other crucial aspect of language is that it can refer to things that are remote in time or space. We can talk about. The Big Bang and faraway galaxies, conceptualize, theorize, etc., without being there. We can also use it to deviate from the truth and the facts in the form of lies, works of fiction, and hypotheses. Which is also quite connected with the creativity of human language. We can produce and understand phrases that no one has ever said before. And you can even use language to talk about language, metalinguistics. And perhaps the most important is that languages are learnable. We as humans have the capacity of transcending the boundaries of our native language and learn new ones. So now that we have reached this point, I think we are ready. We are ready for what? For our last question. What is the difference between variation, language, and the faculty of language? But why is it important? This is important because this will help us delineate better the differences between humans and animals' communication systems, and we are able also to tell what it is that children and us, as language learners, are supposed to acquire, learn, or develop. Whatever you want to call it, I feel we could talk about this forever, but let's give it a go. We could define a language variation as the way people from a group speak. It can be in a certain region, for example, the German that is spoken in the city of Berlin. That includes a specific set of words that compose the vocabulary of Berliners. Specific grammar structures and also a particular way of pronouncing it. You could make it more granular and talk about the German that is spoken by teenagers, or the German that is spoken by people with a certain migration background. Another factor of language variation could also be social status, whether it is real, perceived, or aspirational. For example, the linguistic differences between working and upper-class schools. 
These are some of the most relevant factors that end up influencing the way your kid develops their vocabulary, grammar, and sound systems, as well as their very own speaking and writing style. As we said before, creativity is one of the key components of language. And because language is also social and cultural, our definitions of languages tend to abstract all of these key aspects and label them normally under the framework of canonical modern nations. Germany speaks German, which is this pure thing, almost like the Holy Spirit floating in the air. And that's not really it. In the end, it's all variations. Regional, generational, socio-economical. And there is a continuum of intelligibility. Sometimes you get everything the other person's saying. Sometimes you don't understand nichts. Nada. Zero. But something that we all as humans share is the faculty for language. The ability to combine one sound and another and create a word with meaning. The ability to put words together and make sentences. Sentences into paragraphs. Paragraphs into chapters. And chapters into books. Now also audiobooks. And podcasts. And here is where we reach the end of this month's episode. We want to thank you so much for your comments and questions. Keep them coming. We would really like to know if your baby has already started forming their first sentences and what they are. We want to thank you so much for your comments and questions. Keep them coming. We would really like to know if your baby has already started forming their first sentences and what they are. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Petite Sounds and send them to us. Remember that you can also leave a voice message or write a review on our website www.petitesounds.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get podcasts. In our following episode, we'll talk about the pros and cons of bilingualism. Talk to you in the next episode. Adios. Tschüss.